people sometimes ask me what I do to prepare for the sermon, and I find that I have a little ride about five minutes from my driveway to church. And lately, I've been playing the same song over and over because it just touches my heart. It's one that um, Mark Adams sang to us by J.J. Weeks not too long ago in worship, and it goes like this. Does the person I am today say the words you need to say? Let them see you in me. Let them hear you when I speak. Let them feel you when I sing. Let them see you in me. So today the prayer before the sermon is let others see you in us. Would you say it with me? Let others see you in us. Every one of us has a story. Here's one for you. So there's this man, he's a tax collector, and not just any tax collector. I mean, we're talking about the chief tax collector. He was bad. He had a bad reputation in town. His reputation is that he was cheating people right and left. His own neighbors, for heaven's sake, cheating them out of their own hard-earned money. Well, one day, that businessman steps out the front door of his house, and he figured the day would be like any other day, kind of ordinary, sort of routine, and he walks the same route to work every day, rarely seeing those he passes on the street, knowing that if he met them eye to eye by glance, he would no doubt be met with an icy stare. You know, it wasn't a pleasant job, he thought to himself, if anyone gave him a hard time. I mean, somebody had to do it. I mean, and for all the hardship at hearing all of the tales of woe while he collected these taxes, I mean, come on. He deserved just a little extra off the top. He could put in his lined pockets. So as he walked to work every day, his mind was always elsewhere. How much money do you think I'm going to take in today? Can I squeeze the noose just a little bit tighter to that guy from the market who always gives me a hard time? I mean, a few more coins. I mean, what's the harm in that? I'm not really a bad person. I'm just doing my job. Well, breaking through his thoughts, he overhears a rumor that the prophet Jesus is coming near. And he's been hearing about this prophet. He asks when, and they say today, today. Oh, my gosh, he's going to do what he does every day. He's going to go out ahead of everybody else. He's going to race by the crowd, and he's going to find a place where he can get the best view in the house. And he remembers that old sycamore tree that he used to play in as a child. So sure enough, he runs so fast, the dirt is kicking behind his sandals, creating dust. He looks up, and he sees that tree, and he smiles. And sure enough, he just scrambles up that tree to find his perch. So there's this great crowd surrounding Jesus. He can barely make him out. He's just surrounded by like the sea of people. He's never seen anything like it before. How can one guy attract so many people? And their faces, they were full of joy. Joy. When was the last time he looked ahead of himself and his future and saw joy? Interrupting his thoughts, Jesus is stopped on the road, and unbelievably, he looked up 
at Zacchaeus in the tree. There was a generous smile, broad sweeping. And then he addressed him by name, but he'd never met him before. Zacchaeus, hurry up. Come down, for I must stay at your house today. Immediately, criticism and rumors began to circulate through town. It was like lighting a match. Why would Jesus spend time with him? He's the most dishonest guy in town. Look what he did to our families. But it was clear when Zacchaeus climbed down that sycamore tree, oh my goodness, no one in the crowd saw him the way that Jesus saw him. The crowd saw a man driven by personal greed. The crowd saw an individual who would use anybody to get ahead. And the crowd saw someone who had hurt their community. And all of it was absolutely true. But Jesus, do you know what Jesus saw in Zacchaeus? He saw a man with intrinsic worth. He saw an individual who reflected God's image He saw someone with extraordinary potential. And Jesus never let public opinion change the way he saw anyone. Jesus saw that Zacchaeus had lost his sense of identity, his sense of belonging, his sense of purpose. Maybe, just maybe. Jesus chose Zacchaeus in front of everyone to prove what can happen when anyone is treated like someone God loves. I mean, think about it. The way Jesus saw Zacchaeus, I mean, ultimately changed the way everyone in the town saw Zacchaeus from that moment on. And better yet, the way Jesus saw Zacchaeus changed the way Zacchaeus looked at himself. You know, something remarkable happens when you start seeing people the way that Jesus sees them. Not one person in that crowd on that day could have imagined that Jesus' personal interaction with one man could change their entire town. But it did. Zacchaeus, he changed so much that he declared today, Jesus said, today salvation has come to your house, Zacchaeus. Your house. Jesus was personal with people. He entered their space. He touched people with diseases. He spoke respectfully to scandalous women. He wept at the tomb of a friend who died. He broke a rule to get someone out of trouble. He met with leaders privately in the middle of the night. He washed the feet of his disciples, those who followed him. He invited himself to these wild parties. And who with? Sinners like us. He played with children and toddlers. Why did he do all of that? Why? Because Jesus didn't see humans the way the average person sees another. Jesus honored those who were disgraced. He befriended those who were marginalized. He embraced those who were rejected. He forgave those who were shunned. And he believed in those who were broken. What makes Rosedale Gardens 
Presbyterian Church relevant today. We honor those who are disgraced. We befriend those who are marginalized. We embrace who is rejected. We forgive those who are shunned. We believe in those who are broken. And we live joy-filled lives. Because Jesus sees us in a way that no one else sees us. How can we live in joy and be broken? Oh, my goodness. In a Bible study not long ago, Sandy, we were talking about sin, and we were trying to kind of come to definitions. And after about 10 minutes, Sandy just says, hey, everybody, I got it. We're all broken. We're all broken, which is why we need Jesus, which is why we need a faith community. Because like our lives are this vase, and it's this precious vase. It's worth so much money, and we break apart. And Jesus comes and takes every little piece and he puts us back together. And when he puts us back together, he doesn't do it halfway. He doesn't do it with tape. He doesn't do it with glue. He inlays us with gold, making us far more valuable than we ever were before. That is a reason to have joy. You know, Jesus never got so busy trying to serve everyone that he didn't stop to help someone, right? The pages of the Gospels are littered with people. And remember, he was on his way to somewhere else. Where was he going? Jerusalem. What happens in Jerusalem? The cross. And he's preaching joy. You know, don't miss this. Jesus implied that something had happened in the immediate moment of Zacchaeus' life that would transform every moment of his life thereafter. And that's the effect an encounter with Jesus has on someone's life. It is as if Jesus were saying to him and saying to us today, you were living an empty, lonely life, perhaps just on the surface of life. But that's not existence now I'm here, and I have come that you can have life, and may it be abundant. You can start living again, living with hope because you were made for joy. So what's the biblical definition of joy? Joy is a settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of our lives. It is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right because God is in charge. And it is the determined choice to choose joy. You were meant for joy. Imagine, you were meant to be blessed by God every day. So every day, wake up and ask God to bless you. Every day, wake up, and after you do that, ask God to bless this church of which you are a part. And do not mistake joy for don't worry, be happy. That's not joy. The feeling of happiness can be fleeting when it meets the adversities of life. So some days we got to choose joy. Last month, a dozen of us or so went to this concert, a Christian band called For King and Country, and there's lyrics of a song that express this very thing. Lately, I've been reeling, watching the nightly news. 
Don't seem to find the rhythm, just want to sing the blues. Feels like it's never going to stop. Then the music burst forth with joy, and all of a sudden we were standing up, and we were dancing, and we were singing to the chorus. Got to get that fire, fire back in our bones before my heart, my heart turns to stone. So somebody please pass the megaphone. The time has come to make a choice, and I choose joy. Let it move you. I choose joy. What happened to Zacchaeus? Oh my gosh, Jesus came into his house and changed his life. Do you know that it says in Scripture that he was so filled with joy that somebody loved him, that someone changed him, that Jesus had come to bring salvation, that he gave away half of all his possessions, all those years hoarding money, all those years stealing. He gave it away, half of it all away. And for those he owed, for those he stole from, he gave back not only what he owed, he gave it four times over the amount of what he took. That is joy. So for four weeks now, we've been scattering seeds of joy. Have you been? Have you been scattering seeds of joy? Oh my gosh, every time you walked into the sanctuary, you opened your bulletin and you saw two faces, two faces of lives changed that were impacted by the ministry that is Rosedale Gardens Presbyterian Church. And then you looked to the left and you saw the financials and you saw how much it takes to change people's lives in one place. So what's our mission as a church Yes, we need to be like Jesus, but every church has a unique mission to call their own. We describe ourselves as a mission station. It's always fun for me to go out in town and someone tells me, hey, are you that church that is like a mission station? I love that. I love that. Yes. As a church, we call ourselves And we know ourselves to be this mission station. So what does that mean in the tangible, in the here and now? So we show you. We give you the pie chart. And we divide everything in four sections, which was no easy feat for Kim. And then we show you the people. And they come up and they speak. And you hear Pinky talk about what it was like in 1928 when that chapel was going up. Seeing it go up. Oh, my gosh, Pinky. Oh, my gosh. A hundred years. Yes. So what do we do? How do we fulfill our mission? We step in. We show up. We get personal. It's a great place to start. When you help people, when you offer them a purpose through Jesus, when you offer them a place to belong, when everybody walks in here, people know your name. They know your story if they don't share it. Because then you can be a part of our collective story that began when Pinky sat on the ground watching the first brick lay down. You know, what, what does it mean to bring joy to others? You say three things, they say right now, that people need to hear, especially our younger generation, that you can do good, that you are loved, that Jesus sees you, that we see you, that you belong here, and that we can see that you can offer love too. We can see that Jesus can change your life. 
We look up and we see people scrambling up trees all the time, right? Trying to find things that fill their lives. We are called to look up and to bring people down from the trees that cannot fulfill them. So how do we do that? We serve. We worship. We connect. We plant. James Kinville is 20, and he had spent some time away at college, and he came back last Sunday. The place was packed, and we were having a nice worship service. But he came up to Aunt Kate, and he said something that really stuck with us, and we shared it at our officer training yesterday. He came up to her with this big smile on his face, and he goes, something feels different here. And she went, what does that mean? Is that good or bad? And he said, it's good. There's like an energy. Something feels different here. Yeah. We got babies in the nursery. We got kids running, running to be in church up front to lead you in the Lord's Prayer. We had 13 new members that came from a variety of backgrounds. But you know the one thing they had in common? Someone here invited them to church. We got a lot of marketing going on. When you leave the church and you look left, there's all these ads that we've put uh, in Livonia today in the community calendar. But you know what's still bringing people to church the most? Invitation. So how about we invite people out of the trees like Jesus and we bring them into this community of faith and we show them Jesus. We plant seeds so I was here 18 years this past August. I don't know how that is. I feel so young. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And for the first time, somebody asked me 18 stewardship seasons campaigns. Somebody looked at me and said, hey, what do you hope we get out of this stewardship season? I had to actually pause for a minute. What do I hope? You're probably going to laugh. I want 100% participation. I want time. I want you to share the gifts that you have. Make the place amazing. Unleash your dormant gifts. Perhaps there's gifts you're sharing. We see you singing. We see you in youth group. We see you in a variety of places. But are there more gifts underneath? Unleash them so we can grow and we can experience that joy. And we can become stronger and bolder. Unleash your gifts. And then give financially. You know, money is the wheels on the bus to the church. It is true. So then I said, I have this lofty goal. And I told the officers yesterday, I'm scared to death to say this lofty goal to you. But they said I had to go for it. So here I go. I would like $600,000 pledged. Now, let me tell you what I'm doing to get there. I don't know if, um, if the congregation knows that pastors also pledge. So all three of your pastors pledge to this church and lots of time. And not just because it's the job, right? 
There's 66 items in the job description to become head of staff at Rosedale. That's 66 items. When I sat in the sanctuary and I prayed and I prayed and asked God if I should become the head of staff at Rosedale, I read all 66 and I actually laughed and said, God, they want Jesus. I'm not Jesus. But I love Jesus a whole lot. I've been going to these conferences, and you know what they tell us now? If the pastor doesn't love Jesus, the people won't love Jesus. If the pastor doesn't pray, the people won't pray. If the pastor doesn't give 110%, the people won't give 110%. If the pastor is the spiritual nurturer of the congregation, that's number one on my 66 job um, tasks. If I could do that one, all the others will fall into place, and I'm not going to get to all the others. Let's just be real here. But I love Jesus, and I love the way you love Jesus. And I see people's lives changed in this place, and it's why I give. I do automatic giving. My husband and I, it goes out first before all the bills. And sometimes it really hurts because we could use a little extra money when Michaela gets a ginormous medical bill. But you know what? God has been faithful to us. God has been faithful to this church. Gosh, you're generous. Remember that roof? $28,000. You know that five years ago we couldn't have written a check for a roof for $28,000. Amazing. What would it be like if I never had to stand in front of you again and ask you to pay for one more thing on top of the general budget and the building fund, what would that be like? It would be awesome for me, for all of us, right? What would it be like if we could look at the Church and Society Committee who gets supposed to get $40,000 or a tithe, of what we have. What would it be like to look at them and every year go, so we're going to hold back like $5,000? Some years in the past it's been most because you know what? That's the easiest place to cut. Mission giving. One year at session, the chair of church and society, when we had to slash the budget by $10,000, cried and said, what are we about? So what are we about? Loving God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our mind, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And you know what? Like in every relationship, you're going to get in. You're going to get out what you put in, right? So it's amazing to see what's happening. I'm out in the community a lot now. And you know why I go? And I did, I did get a little flack. I heard a little rumor that people thought maybe I was going out in the community so much I was neglecting the church on my worst day. I'm going out because we're all going out. From Life Remodeled in Detroit to Habitat to the Universal Kids Park, they need people to help serve because not a whole lot of people are volunteering. And so we go out because Jesus calls us to go therefore. And as we go out, people get to see what we're about. Hey, you're that church that serves first responders in the military. 
hey, you're that church that had those 22 crosses and that POW table at the Vietnam Wall. Do you know we covered 32 shifts in five days at that wall? Why? Because of who we are, the mission station. Whether you come for a Sunday or you stay for decades, you're welcomed here. You belong here. You're part of it. When you get to see the kids come back from high school mission trip, oh my gosh, and lives are changed. Was every dollar you spent worth it? Yes. Amazing. At the close of Zacchaeus' story in Luke, Jesus looks up and says to him, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Notice when he performs these encounters with people, and he changed their lives. He always says what his mission is, so that's up to us to say what our mission is. We must have that unshakable joy because something is happening here. There is a new energy. We need to let go when the world tells us that the church is going backwards. Now, it's obvious the Christian church is going through a decline. So how more important it is that we stay healthy and we stay active, and we said, we, we light that gospel fire. There's a lot of naysayers out there saying the church isn't relevant. So we need to show them that the church is relevant. The very topics we pick at Pub Theology are current topics that are happening in the world today. And when Jesus speaks, we follow. And then we got to get out of the way sometimes and let Jesus work. You know, you are a child of God. You're created by him and for him. And we know Jesus will call Christ. We know that Christ is active in this place. We need to commit ourselves to scattering seeds of joy. Commit to sharing our time. Commit to sharing our talents. Commit to make our church our first financial priority. We have everything we need to change the world and to change ourselves like Zacchaeus. So, at the officer training event yesterday, the group made a big list of what they wanted to see. That nominating's job becomes easy, that there's no more frozen chosen, that sermons go deeper, that there's no concern about money, that we go out more, that we have scholarships for kids, for college, that everyone is involved in CE, so we're growing our faith that we have continued growth and energy in youth group. There's more kids coming. There's more children in church. That everyone knows everyone and everyone knows Jesus. Because if we know Jesus, we will be changed like Zacchaeus and the church will grow in depth. So, I'll leave you with this. The reason why something is happening here at Rosedale is because we have a passion for Jesus. We have a deep craving to reach out to one another. We practice sincere integrity. We have spirit-filled faith. And we have down-to-earth humility. And Jesus calls us to be his disciples. So let's be on our way. Amen.